As we started a new year, we uh, kind of started a new, a new study here. A few weeks we're going to spend thinking about some areas in our lives where we've made promises maybe or people made promises to us. I don't know, it seemed like a good way to start 2010 was to be meditating and dwelling on those things in our lives that sometimes we fulfill and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we keep our end of the deal and sometimes we don't. And um, to meditate on what those promises mean. One of the things that, you know, as we've been talking about it over the last, last week already, you know, and we're going to, about four more weeks in this, is what was the big deal with a broken promise? You know, I mean, we talked last week about the importance of promise maker and who keeps the promise and, and those things, but what, what is the big deal if a promise is broken in your life or my life? I think it's a really hard question to answer. These are the things that can change us forever. So I did a little bit of studying on it, you know, thinking about that a little bit. What, what does that really mean practically? How does that really work? And it kind of comes down to the issue of integrity. But what's interesting is, and I, I, I was kind of surprised when I found this. I don't know why I was surprised when I found this. But any time there's a promise broken, it, it hurts both the person who made the promise and the person who believed the promise. I always think the person who believed the promise gets hurt. I always thought that that makes sense. Well, of course, you know. You don't want anybody to break promises with you, and, and that's a big deal. And, and maybe some of us are reluctant to make promises because of that very, that very reason. But what struck me was, what I, heard, what I learned, was that anytime there's a broken promise, the person who, who was failed in the promise learns to mistrust. Learns to mistrust. And then the person who made the promise, of course, becomes, they become not trustworthy, right? We say that a lot. As I reflect on, on things that happen in life, this week was a good example with, with Haiti, and sometimes people say, well, how does that happen? And they learn to mistrust God. They learn to mistrust the one that created them. And yet, at the same time, in those same tragedies, you see folks who who have a faith that surpasses that tragedy, who, who can say, as one family did, God has given and God has taken away. But usually the promises aren't that big that really change us for a long time. Usually the promises are smaller. But yet we build up over time this, this kind of this mistrust of each other. And then here's the real problem, you see, because if it was one person in one incident in your life where, where you were lied to or you were deceived, you could probably go on with life. But there's this weird thing that happens where we begin to carry that into our relationships. And then the first time I meet someone, I, I automatically presume to trust or not trust them. Right? We, we transfer that forward. I heard a story a few years ago that I think sums this up pretty well. And I don't think I've shared this before. I always get confused if I shared it or not shared it, but I'll share it again. If so, bear with me, okay? But I had a friend that worked on the barges on the river. It was, you know, salty dogs. We talk about the disciples were salty dogs, right? It, it was hard work. Big lines. You could die. It was really dangerous work. And so the guys that he worked with were pretty rough around the edges. They, they were seaworthy, as you would say. And one of the guys, his bunkmate, he was, he was staying with, was just really hardcore, just really, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, manly, something. And he asked him, he says, how did you get to be like that? And he said, I'll tell you how. Because my daddy taught me a lesson when I was just a little bitty. And he's like, yeah? 
What is that? And he said, he, he took me over. I just think of like Brandon. This would be a great opportunity. Parenting step here, Corey. He took his son over, and he put him all over on something that was pretty hot, cabinet. It felt like forever away. And then he said to his son, jump. And the boy looked down and looked at his father, and he said, jump. I'll catch you. And so the boy, as most of us would, in full confidence, leapt into his father's arms, and his dad went, and he hit the floor. And he said, that day my daddy taught me the most important lesson in life. Don't trust nobody. And you know, it was funny because it actually allowed him to do this job he was doing with reckless abandon, as my friend told me later. He was kind of the craziest guy on the boat, you know. But yet this incident as a child had formed him. And I just, and my friend too, couldn't help but to think, how would life have been different if that father had caught his son? How would we be different if we had not been failed by those around us? What we learn in the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he isn't the God that says jump and then doesn't catch us. But he's the God that always does. That always does. Well, today as we go through the, I want to talk a little bit about a, a relationship that many of you have probably made a commitment to and many more will make commitment to in your life. But as, as we open the word today and just get, in, get into uh, reflecting on his, his glory, I want to open with prayer. We've already prayed, but I want to pray again this morning and just uh, go before him. Father God, today we, we come because we trust you. We believe you. We know you. And you sustained us so many times. And yet today, Father, we come and we want to know you again. We want to be renewed in the promises that you've made over us. So today, as we open your word and, and just reflect upon the world you've created, I, I pray that you would uh, dwell richly here, that you would, your spirit would be present. And, and not, that it's, not that you're not present to us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, that we would be aware of that presence, that we would know you were speaking to us. We are your children. Your word proclaims it. And we love living in that place with you. So today, over this next hour, I, I, I just pray that you would relate to us in that way. And that we would know you as the loving Father that you are. We give you praise and glory and honor for the things you're doing, the work you're doing in our life. Amen. So this is, we're going to do something a little different this week, but the, the, the kind of the topic this week is, is marriage, Right? And I don't know if you've ever heard a, a, a really good romance story or not. I don't mean like your run-of-the-mill romance story, but I mean a really, really good romance story. Have you guys heard one before, recently, lately? There was actually a magazine that was trying to get folks to write in to, to tell them about great romance stories, and, and they were shocked because they, they didn't get a lot. People had read a lot of fictitious ones, but real-life romance stories... Have you heard a story of, of a deep passion or of reckless sacrifice, true dedication? These are the things that, that we long for in our lives. And I even want to say that even guys long for this. They really do. And I think a lot of times we go, oh, guys don't care. But you know, there's something. I'll tell you, fellas, especially, I remember whenever I was a young man, and, and you know how it is whenever um, you... Uh, you begin to experience those stirrings 
I, I don't mean the stirrings in your loins. I mean your guts. I, I, mean, I, I mean, guys, the, the thing that, that you know it, whenever there's that girl and she gives you that second look, you know what I'm, and you start to think, huh? Maybe at that, 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 that longing to be known, that longing to be in a relationship. You see, it's more than an immediate story. It's more than that. You know, the love at first sight stories are great, and that's awesome. But it, it goes beyond that, because what if we just told that part of the story? What if we just told the part of the story where it starts? I, I met my wife, and you tell the story, and then you stop there. Is that a great love story? No, it's the story of how it perseveres, how it endures. I found a really good story I wanted to share with you today. And I don't know if you guys are... Uh, online not or not, but uh, a lot or not, but I am. And, and I found this, this romance, I would say, it was written about. And uh, this is just a, a blogger, you know, and she was writing about her, her grandparents. And I just want to read it to you today. This was just a few days ago, by the way. She writes, my grandmother is dying, and it's not known how much longer she will be with us. It could be days or weeks or even hours up to last night, my family was very confused about what was going on since she seemed perfectly fine just a matter of days ago. But the onset of her illness came on very quickly and very unexpectedly. My grandfather knew it was bad before any of us could wrap our heads around that fact. He told us that she was dying even before we received word from any medical doctors. You see, no one knows you better than yourself unless you've been married for as long as my grandparents have. Theirs is a love story that spans 70 years. She is 88 years old, and he just turned 90. They lived together for nearly 68 years, up until a matter of days ago. They were rarely apart. Now she lies in a hospice bed, exhausted and weak from the dying process. And my grandfather visits her, and he holds her hand, and he kisses it softly. And he tells her that he loves her. He calls her sweetheart. It's a term of endearment that I've never heard him call her before. He is very gentle with her, even when she asks him to just go away. He won't go away. He never has and never will. Their marriage is far from perfect, and some have even questioned how they ever managed to stay together for so long, including me. I would see them fight. I would see my grandmother in tears, or my grandfather in frustration and anger. But I also saw in them a very fierce love. It's a type of love that only comes from years of practice. They didn't always get along, but they always loved each other and respected one another. They loved sharing stories with each other and bringing up many fond memories of their past together. They often talked about how they met and shared the stories of raising their boys and leaving New York and all their travels and adventures. They love talking about their children, grandchildren, and even their great-grandchildren. In essence, they constantly remind each other of all the things that brought them together and kept them together over the seven decades of their life. Too many couples forget about the good things that brought them together in the first place. They ignore the things that are essential, the glue that holds the relationship and the roots of their foundation. It takes years to cultivate a truly deep connection and commitment. It takes work and practice. Far too many people throw in the towel when it becomes too challenging. And if you ask my grandparents, 
they would tell you it is actually the challenging stuff that really makes you love and respect your partner. Because in fact, when it's too easy, it's simply boring. I don't know if you have those examples in your life. I have a few of folks who are married for years and years. That's my prayer for my marriage. And, and uh, I don't know, I hope it's, it's hope is what we're all striving for. And in this, this, this story that we hear, we hear the story of commitment and love. But I, I think for me, it was missing, of course, something that, that I just think is profound. And I hope that all of you, by the time you leave here today, will understand this, this truth about marriage, this truth about love, this truth about romance, that it goes beyond what we've thought before now. So a few things that, about marriage is I'm just reflecting on it through Scripture and stuff, and I just want to share with you. And the first is this, that marriage, in first and foremost, is a gift from God. It's a gift from God, right? That in your partner, in your husband, in your wife, you actually have a gift that is given from God himself. As a matter of fact, you'll remember the Bible story starts in where? Genesis, Right? And the first thing that God does after the creation narrative, it says he can find no suitable mate for Adam. And what does it say? He created who? Eve, right? Yeah, my favorite thing actually about this is that he says, uh, I, will, I will call her woman, for she was taken from man. And there's a little footnote that's not very helpful, and it says, uh, that's because man and woman sound alike in Hebrew. I, I think it's more like he was like, whoa, man, you know? Yeah. I'll tell you why. As a matter of fact, and some of you maybe are living at home with your parents, you know, and you're wondering when you're ever going to get out. I mean, they're wondering when you're ever going to get out. And, and it says in, in the Genesis, it says this, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. I want to tell you, fellas, if you don't think you're ever going to leave because it's too good of a deal, just wait. Because there comes that time when you know it's time to go. It's time to go. You'll know it when you see her. And, and in this gift from God, we have this person that's been created, that's been woven together. That's the very presence of God to us in so many ways in our life. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. A great marriage begins in relationship with God. Now, I want to say this because many of us don't have that experience in our life, right? I said a great marriage begins with, in a relationship with God. Many of us don't have that experience in our life. Maybe, maybe you do. I mean, maybe you were a believer. Maybe you believe, first of all, in, in God himself. And then maybe you believed in Jesus Christ, right? Son of God who died for your sins. And then you began that relationship to seek a spouse. And if so... That's awesome, because you're doing, you're, you're way ahead of the curve, as it were. But every great marriage begins in relationship with God, and I want to say, in a particular way. I'm not going to get into the unequally yoked thing today. There's a whole part that says, if you're a believer, don't be yoked with a non-believer. And that's scripture, and that's true. But I want to talk about the relationship that's required for you to be in a great marriage, is that you would be constantly talking to the one who made you. Remember the story, the narrative, where it comes from? It's from Genesis, the creation narrative. The Word of God says that he knit you together in your mother's womb, right? That means in that act of creation, he loved you enough to make you, and he's loved someone else enough to make them to be with you. 
It's a gift from God. And it begins then with this relationship with God. Every time that we're interacting, right, and this is not something I proclaim to know, but proclaim to be learning, is it involves a conversation, a three-way conversation. Everything does. When you're dealing with your spouse on an issue, you should be reflecting with God on what this is, what's going on here. What do you teach me in this situation with my husband or my wife? And I know some of you are like, going, man, I'm about to check out because I'm not even dating anybody. There's nobody. <laughs> Listen, every great marriage begins with a relationship with God. And that means you'll be praying. As a matter of fact, you'll know the Apostle Paul says in the Word, if you can be single, be single and give yourself to God wholly and completely. And yet if God has in store for you a spouse, a helpmate, someone who can be your completer while you're on this earth, who can train those of us who aren't ready for the glory, who aren't ready for eternity, then be praying toward that end. Be praying that he would be revealing that person to you in your life. Every great marriage begins with a relationship with God. So you can be praying about this now, no matter where you are. No matter where you are. You know, we were actually talking about some of the babies and stuff and, and, and they were being born. And we said, are, we, are you praying? Someone said, are you praying for your spouse? Someone asked me that. Do you pray for the spouse of your children? <sighs> I do now. You know? Do, do you pray for the generations of God's blessing? Do you pray that he would continue to reveal his hand to your family? Do you pray it for yourself? Every great marriage begins with a relationship with God. Begins in a relationship with God. A couple more things here. A great marriage is a reflection of God's glory among us, right? The greatest blessings of marriage. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. Even to the guys, you know, who say, again, I, I think we had a bad rap for not, we, we want that, that to, be, to be in love, intimacy, to, to be cared for and caring for others, to be accepted. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And as we seek this out, we find it, if, if we are patient, if we, if we can just dwell and pray and seek, we find it. And I'm afraid sometimes that in our society of instant gratification, of, of a society of pornography, a society of, of, of everything at your fingertips, immediately we forsake what could be great in our lives for what is good for the moment. I hope you don't. I hope you wait. I hope you pray and dwell. Because this marriage relationship, this love and intimacy and care and acceptance, as good as it is, as good as it is, and if you've got a great marriage, you know, a, a great husband and wife, that's awesome. It's nothing compared to what's coming. In the love chapter, we talked about this before, right? 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, you know, love is, love is, love is. We love that part, right? Paul also says this in there. He says, now we see in part, and then we'll see in full. Now we are partially, now we know partially, then we'll know fully as we are fully known. There will come a day where we will know God's love completely. And what we have in a marriage, in a great marriage, isn't the end of his love for us. It's the beginning. It's a taste of what's coming. A great marriage is just a reflection of God's glory among us, a, a taste of the things that are coming. 
And the, la the last one is this. A great marriage is dependent on God's faithfulness, right? Uh, there's some explicit teaching in Scripture. And one of them that we all probably have heard and know and maybe we love it or hate it is husbands love your wives and wives submit to your husbands. And that's been just beat to death, this Scripture has been, back and forth, you know. But there, and it's true, and I won't back down for a minute from it, but I do want you to know that the love relationship is consistently talking about God's love for us. The marriage relationship is consistently talking about God's love for us. As a matter of fact, the explicit teaching says this, wives submit to your husbands, right? But then it says, husbands love your wives. How does it say to love your wives? Yeah. How did Christ love the church? He died for her. He died for us. He gave everything in that way. But you see, here's the deal. Because a great marriage, and I've learned this, and I didn't know this. Whenever I stood there and took those vows before God, I think God was taking it seriously, and I was kind of just doing, you know, the thing. I got married to church because you're supposed to. I don't know, you know. And somehow, by the grace of God, he has fulfilled this promise in me, and I've come to realize that a great marriage is dependent on God's faithfulness. Now, you've got to be in a relationship with him. But if you're in a relationship with him, God is being faithful to you in your marriage. God is sustaining you in your marriage. And I hope that you know that. And if, and if you don't have a, again, I want to say it again, if you don't have someone and you're like, man, I don't even have that, God is faithful in providing it. Wait for his great thing for you. Don't, don't give in for the good thing. By the way, I ain't no commentary on who you're dating right now. I'm just saying. God is directly fulfilling his vows in our lives. And a great marriage is an example of that. Now, all that is to say this. Have you ever gotten a love letter from anybody? Have you ever had it in your hand? And if you had one, did you ever open it? You know, I told you I was forgetful. I didn't, I didn't bring it, right? I had one. Have you ever had one? And Do you just leave it sealed up, put it in a drawer somewhere? Maybe. If you don't want to hear, you might, you know. Not him, right? No, oh, you tear it open and you read it. You treasure it and you go over the words again and again. A great love letter. By the way, you know, guys, if you want to, I'll say a minute here, if you want to score like awesome points, I'm talking about in a relationship, write one. Take a risk and write down how you feel about somebody. That's a treasure. That's a treasure to the one that, that loves you and the one that you love. Well, the Word of God is actually our love letter, right? It's God's Word to us. And I want to open it today. And so I'm going to actually have you open your Bibles if you've got one in your hand. And we're just going to look at this one little verse here, Romans, Romans 1.7. It's on page 780 of the, our Bibles if you use one of ours. And if you have your own, you can, you can probably find it. And I was just stunned by this little bitty text, this little bitty opening to this great book about our faith. And this is, I'm just going to read this one little part. I'm just going to stick to this, right? Paul's writing this letter to Romans, right, to the Romans, and it's called Romans. And this is what he says, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Because, see, now I know already some of you are thinking, man, this is not, I don't, all the stuff you already talked about. I don't know how I'm going to do that. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know how it's going to happen in my life. 
And, and in this one little verse, God reveals to us a couple of facts about ourselves that we need to start to process, that we need to start to learn and, and, and receive, believe. And is this. This letter in, this, in the Bible is written to all who are loved by God and all who are called to be saints. The whole book. There's all kinds of stuff in this book. And it opens with those words. Agapetos theos. Loved by God. I'm just blown away by that very concept. That the God that created everything loves me, cares for me, nurtures us, cares for us. This word agapetos, it means to be beloved, right? To be esteemed or, or dear, to be the favorite. If you want to be the favorite son, to be worthy of love. We talked about that last week. Who, who chooses? God does. But God loves you. Loves you very much. And, and to be loved by God begins to help us understand who we are in relationship to others. Because all of a sudden, instead of having to do it on our own, instead of having to depend on ourselves, we can know that in His love for us, we can actually be open to risk love for others. We, we can actually take a risk in our own life because we're loved by God. And the second thought is this, right? That we're called to be saints. Now, this is the one that really threw me for a loop. Because if you know me, and I know some of you, well, we're pretty com comfortably called saints, right? Like, who, who's going to be that guy? Who, who's going to live up to that standard? In any real relationship, let alone a marriage as a husband, or, or maybe a marriage as a wife, you were called to be a saint, Right? And in the same text here, Jesus, or God's talking to us and he's saying, we're called to be saints. We're, we're invited as if to a banquet. We're, we're divinely selected and appointed, is what the word says, to be saints, the most holy thing. You see, I want to tell you today a story of love. I want to tell you the story of love that God has for us. This whole book of Romans goes through the process, this love letter, and it begins to tell us a story. And some of you have probably heard before this idea of the Romans road. The, the book of Romans reveals to us that God loved us so much that he's willing to come and die for us. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You guys have heard this before probably, right? But do you understand that in this place of being unworthy, God is loving us. In this place of being not the perfect husband, God is loving us. In this place of, of not being the perfect waiter, God is loving us. And he has better plans for us than we have for ourselves. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. It means that if we were left to our own accord, if God did nothing to intervene, we would be hopelessly lost, hopelessly forsaken, forever separated from God. You know, we went, um, we went snowboarding the other night and with the youth, and, and I have this hat, and it's got the skull and crossbones on it, and, and uh, it's kind of funny because uh, the hat always reminds me of the text that says, don't fear the one that could take your life, but not take your soul, right? But fear the one who can take your life and your soul. I'm paraphrasing. But, but God is the one 
who can really do it all. And, and, and we don't, there's no fear over death if we have forgiveness of our sins. But in our sin, we are hopelessly lost. And, and that same is true in our marriages. If we are left to our own devices, if we're left to our own desires, if you're just trying to do the best you can all the while you can, you're hopelessly lost. I don't know how you're going to have a great marriage. The same verse in 623 says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I think we see this manifest in our relationships. If we're in relationship with him, it manifests everywhere around us. And then last week we talked about the last one, right? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart he's raised and you will be saved. You see, because there's some truth, I think, that we've forgotten about God. And I'll tell you, I think we've forgotten it in our marriages. I think that we go, yeah, I get it. God, you saved me, but you've left me here in a mess. You saved me for all eternity, but, but, but my marriage, you don't have any idea what's going on here. You don't know how much I'm longing for a husband or a wife. You don't know how much I, I'm waiting. You don't, you don't know how nervous I am about my kids. But God knows. And if he's the God of all eternity, he's certainly the God of the present. This whole book was written, this whole book was written to those who are loved by God and called to be saints. And I hope that you're reading it. I hope that you're in the love letter. That you find your place there. I want to read the rest of this little story here. And then I want to talk about the rest of our story here. So she concluded by saying this about her grandparents. She said, a, a few months ago I had a chance to ask my grandmother how she managed to stay married for so long. It's a typical question we would ask. What was the secret? And she replied this way, my feet get too cold at night and I like having grandpa in bed next to me to keep them warm. Now I laughed, she said at the time, because I found it very endearing. But it's only just recently that I have come to understand what she was talking about, that there was a deeper meaning to her humor. The best kind of love, the deepest kind of love, is when your partner is simply there for you, when you need him or her the most, through all the challenges, the joys, the tears, the laughter, the warm days and the cold nights. These things are meant to be shared with those who love us. And the best love is the love that endures through all of it. We're going to be starting up a, uh, a new semester of family groups. And one of the studies we're going to be doing is on marriage. And so I'd encourage you to start praying now about that if you want to be involved with that family group. But this love that we have is only a reflection for the love that God had for us. And, and it's kind of funny, but this verse that we run over all the time is John 3.16, right? And it says this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. And I think that the truth of that is almost too much to grasp. I don't know if we apply that to all of our life, to all the areas of our life. Let's pray.
Father God, today we thank you for the, just the gifts you're giving us in you and in each other. We pray, Lord, we're attentive to your work in our lives. We pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to us. But, you know, everywhere, all the time, that we could know you, that we could be known. We know we're known by you, but we could know you more. We just thank you, Lord, for the great gift. I mean, how do we say thanks for Jesus? How do we fully understand it? How do we understand it the side of eternity, Lord? I pray that we begin to see it in our relationships day in and day out. I pray we begin to see your kingdom coming. And today, Lord, if, if, if there are those here who don't know you at all, who, who've never heard that anyone loves them, who've never heard that they can trust anyone in life, I pray that your Holy Spirit would impress upon their hearts the great love and trust they can find in Jesus. I pray that he is the one who becomes their glory, their partner for life, their constant companion. And then I pray, Lord, that every day as we walk with you, that we would lean more readily upon you, that we get so used to your ever-present love that we could risk anything because we know you're there for us. We give you praise and glory today for what you're doing. And we trust you with all of it. In Christ's name, amen. You know, it's funny, I'm standing here and I, I, I get the sense that there's things that are not, that are left unsaid. And uh, my heart is that those things that need to be said are probably your things. Maybe to each other, maybe, maybe to God in prayer. But I would invite you, as you're able to respond, to respond to what God is revealing to you in your heart today. Whatever God's revealing to you. give you my soul I live for you alone every breath that I take every moment I'm away Lord have your way in me Lord I give you my heart I give you my soul
give you my soul I live for you alone Every breath that I take Every moment I'm awake Lord, have your way I'm going to invite you to pray one more time with me and I, I want us to pray together over over marriage and, and, and the marriages in our body the marriage in our community the future marriages of our children and those who are with us so Father today we lift all these relationships to you and, and I don't know why it's so heavy on, on my heart today Lord that you would be restoring marriages that there's something about the covenant promise that's so precious Lord but I'm just before you Father today and I know my brothers and sisters here today too, just praying that you would be redeeming marriages, that you would be saving us through our marriages, and, and Lord, uh, that you would strengthen them. If, if however you want to lead us forward as a community of believers, that we would stand quickly by one another in times of need. We pray, Lord, that by your grace and your spirit, we'd be people of integrity in those places, that we would have purity of thought and of mind and of action. And that somehow this great love that you have for us could be experienced in small ways in our relationships with each other. We just give you praise and glory for our husbands and our wives. We thank you for the blessing that they are. We thank you for who you're calling them to be. We pray that we would help with that, that we would not be a hindrance to the, your work in their life. Now, Prepare us for the week ahead. We don't know what's coming, but we know that you do. And we proclaim your sovereignty over it, and we steadfastly trust you with it. We trust you because of Jesus. Amen.